Today's guest on the show is Phil Bonello. You can find Phil at philjbonello.substack.com. That's where I found him and that's what brought me to um, engage with Phil with his article about uh, the many angles of Bitcoin adoption, which uh, we're going to walk through because I think there's some amazing points there. Um, first of all, uh, Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Could you, um, could, you, could you tell us um, a little bit about uh, what you were doing prior to uh, you know, the last few years and um, you know, what kind of led you into, into Bitcoin? And then we'll get into the article, which I think there's some amazing points to discuss. Yeah, I came to the space a few years ago, 2016. Uh, really was interested uh, from a valuation standpoint, how to think about uh, you know, one coin versus the other. And I started building out different valuation uh, methodologies. I uh, later on joined Ikigai Asset Management as the head of research. Uh, so Ikigai is a long, short, multi-strategy hedge fund. Uh, so what that means is we'll both go long on certain coins and short on certain coins, depending on the market environment. Uh, and we would deploy different strategies. So some would be longer term, like you can think about something like smart beta, where you're just going to take a collection of different assets and put them into a, a basket that you're going to hold for a longer term period. You can think about something like event-driven catalyst, where if there's going to be a fork on a certain asset, you might try to play uh, that asset a certain way, long or short. Uh, so uh, my job was primarily to dig into every single asset in the top 150 and really understand uh, what they were all about, what events were coming down the line, uh, how strong the community was, whether their tech was correct or uh, whether it was actually doing anything, right? Because there are so many assets in the space that have great marketing campaigns, but they actually don't have any product. Uh, so uh, that, that was my job primarily, and as well as looking at day-to-day -day market analysis and uh, trying to uh, influence like how our portfolio was going to be managed on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Man, 150 assets. Yeah, you know, it was painstaking because sometimes you would just go through and you'd have to do a lot of different, a lot of due diligence just to say, yeah, this one's a scam. <laughs> <laughs> how did you find the scams? How many, how many do you think you found? Uh, I, I think there were probably 40 or 50 in the top 150 that, you know, from our analysis, they, they may as well have been scams. Yeah. Wow. And what does that like? <laughs> uh, right, I told you we'd fall into a rabbit hole. <laughs> First question: <laughs> What, do, like, how does that, how does that shake your belief in, like, in the space? Like, if you keep coming up, because that is a high percentage of scams. Yeah, I don't think that. I think it was pretty much in line with my expectation, to be honest. Uh, I, I think that there are just very few assets that are going to survive long term. Uh, it doesn't mean that they won't like they won't be traded uh, for the next few years, but just the way that they accrue value, uh, the the way that they're structured, I just don't think that many of them are going to survive. So I, I wasn't all that surprised to to dig in and see that there wasn't actually development going on on you know 40, 50 coins. You know you can look at their GitHub's, you can look at their Twitter accounts, you can look at who's talking about them. Is anyone on Telegram? And a lot of them were just ghost towns, right? So uh, I expected that, to be honest. I think that when, uh, when a space goes through what happened in 2017, a lot of people come because there's, there's money to be made, right? Uh, so, yeah. 
Oh man, I've got a bit of a pointed question now. Now I'm just trying to think of how to word it because it comes down to like, um, like company ethos, right? Company ethics. It's like, you know, if, if you see what you believe or what you strongly believe to be a scam, but then you see the potential it could have to run up as like, um, an asset management company, what do you do? Like, do you just load up and follow the ride and you know follow the herd even though you know it's probably um you know not a great thing to be doing yeah well i mean so the research that we did allowed us to go into all of our trades eyes wide open and so a scam in one person's eyes may not be a scam in you know in others and so so our job as uh, asset managers as fiduciaries is to uh have a return on our investment. And sometimes that means a long-term investment. And sometimes that means evangelizing a certain product or project. Um, but in other times, it, it, just, it just means that we're going to trade in and out of a certain position. Uh, so we, we would never you know, dive into some trade and then advertise it to, to uh, the public. That's not, that's not how um, we would operate. But, but sometimes, you know, you see an opportunity where there's a market inefficiency or there's a trend that's about to develop. And, you know, that's, that's kind of our job as asset managers and as traders uh, on the long and short side. Right. And how do you put on short positions? Just so people uh, listening, um, that, that they might be questioning, you know, what are these words long and short? Long is when you buy something, short is when you sell something. Um, but sometimes if you're shorting something, are you using um, like a derivative or what, how, what, what tools are available to you? You can go, you can get borrow on uh, OTC markets. So, you know, something like Genesis. Uh, you can also go through BitMEX. Uh, you know, BitMEX is a super liquid uh, derivatives exchange. So uh, those were like really the two, op- two biggest options. Right. Okay, cool. Whereas for, for most people listening, I assume um, that I, well, hope they're not trading if they're just coming into the space. So, you know, leave that to the professionals and, um, you know, just buying and holding for the long term. Um, that's kind of what I hope um, people coming into the space will do. Yeah, that's probably the safest option. So you've, um, you've since moved, um, moved on from there and, um, looking around, um, what kind, are you looking for the same kind of work like uh, research or. Yeah. M- most of the opportunities that I'm looking at right now are, are on the research side of things. Um, you know, com- combining research, business development strategy, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Well, I can't imagine there's many people out there that looked at as many as, as you have. So, <laughs> and when you do that, Probably not. when you, when you do that, when you get into those weeds, um, you know, if we bring this back around to Bitcoin, you know, what, what, what is your stance on, on Bitcoin and how has that kind of, um, steeled your nerves about, you know, what, what you've seen and what you now know more and more about that's out there and, your feelings about Bitcoin? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it grows my confidence in Bitcoin in the leader because I've gone through every, every other asset in the space and understand, and it helps me understand why Bitcoin is ultimately so powerful and so important. And that's, that's kind of why I wrote this many angles of Bitcoin adoption because it's, it's not just the technology. It's not just the community. It's so many different things that are, um, 
building and growing Bitcoin's importance in the world, right? And, and so it, it can be difficult sometimes to explain that to a newcomer, explain that to an institutional investor, right? They're like, oh, well, I don't think it's like gold. I don't think it's like this. I think it's an energy waster. Um, and so there are all these singular things that you can poke, poke at, but in aggregate, just a few of these vectors really have to um, be fulfilled for Bitcoin to succeed. Right. And uh, yeah, it definitely looks like a piece that you, um, you, you were just like dying to get out there. Um, loads of research went into it and this has kind of been like the, uh, the result of it. And if I, if I just use it as kind of a guideline for um, what we're going to talk about, like the, the object of desire meme that, uh, that you have there, um, could you talk a little bit about that and um, you know, how, how that works and how you see that playing out? Sure. Yeah. So, so this is, I've been really interested in uh, Rene Girard's mimetic theory, which uh, basically states that people are beasts of imitation, right? Like we often describe why we want something by its objective qualities, but uh, really most people want things because other people want them, right? They're, we're really just imitating what other people desire. And so I think, I think that's really important for understanding why Bitcoin's so powerful especially because there are so many different ways that people are imitating other people and then uh, coming to the conclusion of, oh, okay, Bitcoin, right? So uh, in, in this piece, I kind of walk through a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of the different angles because each one of those angles represents a, an imitation game, essentially. So that then leads into um the prisoner's dilemma for nation states which uh, i think is um <laughs> you know that's that's one of the most bullish cases i think <laughs> when you look at that diagram i showed this diagram uh, to uh knut Swanholm the other day when we were finishing up our chat actually we'd stopped recording and uh, i said have you seen this piece by uh you know phil Bonello? you've got to have a look at it so i shared my screen with him and he's uh -huh. like I could see his mind working and he's like, Dan, we have to hit record again <laughs> because he had, he had these like, um, you know, thoughts about it and, um, which we'll get into after, um, I'll tell you what he was thinking. Um, but like, if you, if you can explain to people, um, obviously I'll put the, the link to it all in the show notes and they can go and see the article, but Bitcoin presents a prisoner's dilemma for nation states. You know, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so uh, it's kind of the idea of like a nuclear arms race, which I think I first heard from Murad Mamadov. Uh, you know, he it's if if no nation if no nation state buys Bitcoin, there's the possibility that they can uh, maintain the status quo, really the monopoly on printing money. That is obviously what every nation would like to continue to do. However, one if one nation state sees this opportunity to, to be an early adopter in Bitcoin. Then, then they could maybe put together a campaign to accumulate a large amount of Bitcoin and then signal that they have accumulated a large amount of Bitcoin, right? And that signals to every other nation in the world that, oh no, we may have to get on board basically just in case, right? We have to start buying a little just in case, which is again, back to the whole mimetic theory, the imitation game playing out, right? They're not interested because of its objective qualities, Actually, they're disinterested because of its objective qualities. What makes them interested is that other people may be buying it, right? So other nation states may be buying it. And it, it 
it, it's the same type of idea with uh, nuclear weapons or something, right? Oh, you know, Iran has nuclear weapons. Okay, we have to have nu nuclear weapons. This nation state has nuclear, we have to get nu nuclear weapons. And uh, it becomes this really powerful tool uh, to maybe uh, gain more wealth than other nation states. Uh, and so, so you could see this kind of, you could imagine this playing out and it, it could result in this massive fear of missing out scenario where every nation state is trying to accumulate more Bitcoin than, than another. So it's, it's really this, uh, it's really the imitation game, but played out on a massive scale. And I th that could be really interesting to uh, observe over the next, uh, I, I could see it happening in the next five years. Yeah, man. I, um, it's like when I couldn't stop looking at that quadrant that you put up there and it was just like, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Because if that happens, then you're going to see a spike in price that just, you, you couldn't even imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're already, we're seeing uh, nations repatriate gold right now, right? Like they're trying to accumulate as much gold as they possibly can, because I think they see uh, the same type of scenario with, uh, uh, you know, fiat currencies playing out, like everyone's debasing their, their currency. And so the, the obvious thing to do is, is buy gold, but then there's this, there's this new digital gold. And so I think more people are waking up to the idea and, and that, that's a very reflexive process. So now the rabbit hole Knut took us down and um, we're still deep into actually, and um, it's thrown open the discussion on Twitter um, is could a nation state actually own Bitcoin? Because at the end of the day, somebody still has to have the private keys or a certain two or three people, whoever is running the country at that time has to have the private keys and access to them and they all have to come to some agreement and who makes a decision on on accumulating it in the first place so that kind of led him to like you know is there such thing as a nation state and then all of this just gets blown wide open but is that something you've had a discussion about before well i, I think uh it would happen through a sovereign wealth fund and i i, I think those conversations are probably ongoing currently um, where sovereign wealth funds are considering accumulating some some amount of Bitcoin, uh, they're just not sure exactly how they're going to do it and at what price they want to buy. And you know, these things just take time. And it's the same thing with a lot of the institutions coming into the space. They're just moving slowly. But I think I'm the conversations are happening. So uh, it would happen through a sovereign wealth fund, I think. Interesting. Because it, I, the, the analogy I kind of used was when Gordon Brown was in charge of like selling all of the UK's gold at like ridiculously low prices. Mm. Um, you know, if you've got, if you've got like, you know, and he's now seen as a single point of failure in that, in that transaction. Um, and of course, as nation, uh, as governments, you know, roll over into different governments, they get passed on to, um, to, to different key keepers. And, you know, it's, wow, it's really interesting real deep one to go into which um, yeah this quadrant you know has uh, has opened up this discussion massively <laughs> yeah um, i mean it'll it'll be an interesting thing like uh do do you want a custody with an, uh, with a third party or are you gonna just you know implement some hyper secure custody solution with um multi-sig i i'm you know i'm we'll see how that we'll see how it plays out i really don't have any, any idea 
And multi-sig is basically the same as like three people having the keys to the red button on the nuclear missile, right? You know, it's basic, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, rumors are out there. I don't. I, I think they've been confirmed that Bulgaria are um, have been accumulating Bitcoin, whether they've been um, seizing it through criminal activity or actually buying it um, through sovereign wealth funds. So the game is afoot, right? Um, countries out there are doing it. And in the US, what happened to all of the, the seizures, like from Silk Road, for example? What, I know they get auctioned off, but... Yeah, those got auctioned off. I, I'm not, I don't think I'm aware of any, uh, any nation actually saying that we've been accumulating. I think there were rumors of Bulgaria having a, a significant amount of Bitcoin, but I think uh, the leaders, leaders in power said that we're not, we're not actually accumulating Bitcoin or, or even holding it. So I, I don't think that there, the game has actually quite started yet where, where someone comes out and just says, Oh yeah, we have, you know, $10 billion worth of Bitcoin or, or whatever. <laughs> Man, imagine these dinners going forward between these politicians. We're going to start like looking at each other sideways. I wonder if he's got Bitcoin. What, yeah, what's going on? Wow. That really sets up the future. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, Bitcoin is digital gold. Um, you know, if, um, if you wanted to expand on that a little bit, you know, what, what you think, um, like you've got the table there, estimated value and um, where you sure. see it. Yeah. You know, so this is a really common narrative. This is what everyone talks about, digital gold. Um, but if, if, if Bitcoin can achieve the status of, of gold, then it's going to see a 50 X, you know, multiple. Uh, which is great, right? Uh, you don't have to be that confident in Bitcoin for, you don't have to be that confident in Bitcoin achieving that status to make an investment in it, right? You just have to have a 2% confidence that it'll actually achieve that. And that's a great return on investment. Uh, and so, so that takes over the whole gold bug, Austrian economics crew, uh, and that's, that's just another imitation game at play. And gold has all the properties, uh, or sorry, Bitcoin has a lot of the same properties as gold. Um, you know, it's scarce, it's portable, it's accepted, it's fungible. And then there are all these added qualities. Uh, you know, it's censorship resistant. Um, but I, I really think that diving into some of those, uh, those first three, it's scarce. You know, this is going to be the first year that Bitcoin's annual issuance is uh, less than that of gold. Uh, it's portable. You can you can send billions of dollars around the world for, uh, you know, twenty cents, less than a dollar certainly, and it'll it'll arrive, uh, you know, in, an, in about an hour, uh, and it's increasingly accepted. So we have uh, Fidelity, uh, we have Square, which I think is a massive part of uh, Bitcoin's acceptance over the next five ten years. Square has two million merchants right? Just in the U.S. alone. And you can imagine Square rolling out Bitcoin to all of them, right? And how, how crazy will that be? Uh, and I think uh, back on the portability part, I mentioned that uh, there's a lot of repatriation of gold going on. Poland, I think, in November repatriated about $5 billion worth of gold. And that required uh, a freight plane. Uh, it was a top secret mission. It required uh, a whole armored fleet and, you know, probably 20, 20 people to actually 
uh, make this mission happen, right? And that's, that's for $5 billion worth of gold. Uh, that same transaction on Bitcoin happens, you know, for 20, 30 cents. Uh, so, so it, as we move into a, as we move into a more global digital world, it, it just makes sense to have a digital money. Yeah, it's like yeah. I mean, when a what? Why are people dragging their feet so 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 much on this? You know, I, what's um, what? Can you put your finger on it? Why? Why people don't believe in Bitcoin? Yeah. So, I, I think it, it stems from people don't really understand money, right? And uh, it, it seems it seems that money should be controlled by a, a state. Uh, a lot of people still believe that money should be inflationary uh, because that ha- helps the economy flourish, right? It makes people spend. Um, yeah, we've we've kind of we've perverted what money is and. Now people don't understand what it is anymore. Uh, so I think we'll have to see we'll have to see large scale failures until we actually see uh, Bitcoin and gold kind of reclaim status. Wow. So what 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 were the resources and what 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 kind of like led you down this this path? Like you know, do, do you remember the first time that uh, somebody like you know put a book in front of you or said listen to a podcast or well, well, to be honest, I took a, a pretty interesting path. I, I was really coming at it from the technology side. Uh, I was really interested in machine-to-machine communication, Internet of Things, and I was looking for a new job, and I happened upon Ethereum. And I was like, oh, machine-to-machine communication, uh, this, is, this is amazing. This is, this is the solution, right? And I started digging into why Ethereum was valuable versus why Bitcoin was valuable versus why all this other stuff was valuable. And what really I came to understand is that the use case that we're really talking about right now with non-productive assets is money. Uh, and then so I started to think about what are the qualities of a good money and how, do we, how should I think about these qualities? And I, I started to think of uh, the move fast and break things uh, culture of Ethereum. And I was like, well, is that really good for a money? And I, I think that's, that's definitely not true for money, but it might be good for a startup, right? When we're thinking about a store of value, when we're thinking about a money, we want to be able to come back in 100 years and know that that store of value that we invested in is still that store of value 100 years later. And with Ethereum, you can't invest in it you know, over a three-year lifespan and know what you're actually buying, right? So it's much more of a, a tech startup type mentality than it is this uh, digital gold mentality, which I think is important for uh, a digital money and a store of value. And on top of that, you know, money is, is this whole imitation game. You have to have this, uh, you have to have all these shelling points, right? And uh, Bitcoin Bitcoin has really been consistent in, in what it is providing. It's this self-sovereign money. It has a 21 million cap supply, right? And uh, it's not trying to do all these different things. And I think when you have a lot of different narratives, like something like Ethereum, it becomes confusing what the use case actually is. Is it a world computer? Is it a digital money? You know, what is, 
what is the actual use case here? So I think keeping it simple has been a, a huge boon for, for Bitcoin uh, because it just makes it a little bit more digestible for newcomers coming into the space. Yeah. And you just, uh, you just mentioned um, a shelling point there. W would you just uh, mind uh, explaining to the listeners you know, what, what you mean by that? Yeah, so shelling point is just a focal point, something that people uh, uh, without communicating with each other can, can uh, focus on essentially. Right, okay, cool. All right, back to the article. Bitcoin is an uncorrelated alternative investment. Yep, so, uh, you know, again, this is a narrative that is starting to gain traction. Uh, I shared a chart in there that over the last five years, uh, daily returns have correlated with nothing, right? So and I, I, think that's, I think that's partially because on the one side, it's this digital gold. It's this potential reserve currency. On the other side, it's a venture bet for technologists, right? So if, if, you're, if you're a techie, you can look at the, the 100x potential returns and you're like, yeah, you know, that looks a lot like what uh, I usually invest in on the venture side of things. It's also a technology, it's weird, it's different, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. But then on the digital gold front, uh, you have a completely different angle for investment. Uh, and so I think it probably, that's why it probably is uncorrelated with everything right now. Uh, over the next five, 10 years, I expect correlation to pick up on the gold side of things uh, and decrease on the tech investment side of things. But but right now it's not correlated with anything. And that's, that's a great, uh, you know, relative to modern portfolio theory, like, you know, keep, keep a very diversified portfolio. And that's a hard thing to do right now because most things are just correlated with S and P. Uh, so gold is pretty, gold has low correlation. Bitcoin has low correlation. Probably makes sense to have a little of both. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of, the long and short of uh, the alternative investment. Uh, on the other, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll add one more thing. You know, debt is just increasing at a, at <laughs> breakneck speed. It's 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 crazy, and and there's little chance of that debt reversing. And so, what central banks are doing and will likely continue to do is print money to satisfy uh, these growing liabilities. Uh, and if, if people are going to continue to print money, you know, Bitcoin is here as kind of a hedge against that. So it's, it, it kind of ties back into the digital gold narrative. Uh, but it, it's just this like very unique asymmetric bet uh, that acts as a hedge against uh, just completely irresponsible uh, monetary policy. And we are having this discussion, you know, just one day after the Dow Jones yesterday was down like a thousand points. Um, I've not even looked at it today. I think it was down a little bit, um, but uh, nothing compared to yesterday. And somebody made the point to me is like, well, you know, Bitcoin's not behaving as um, like a safe haven asset because I think the price was flat or down 50 bucks compared to gold, which obviously was gapping upwards. And to your point, that is the non-correlation, right? Uh, yep. It didn't do anything because it's not correlated. It didn't get yep. down by the S&P or the Dow or like uh, anywhere like the FTSE or the, or the um, German uh, stock exchanges. And yeah. it didn't go up with gold because people, 
the way I see it, people are still so conditioned to the flight of safety is gold and US dollars, you know, Swiss maybe 10 years ago, but that's gone. That story's over. So yeah. now it's still gold in US. So the heads are still firmly in the sand when it comes to seeing Bitcoin as a potential investment, which the way I try to uh, explain it, it, it puts like the investing pyramid on its head. Right now, instead, right, usually it's uh, governments and then banks and then pensions and then um, uh, broker dealers and then mom and pop. They get the bite of the, the new financial asset. Mm-hmm. Now we get the chance, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we still, we're still here 11 years and we still have this chance. And yesterday was a perfect example because it didn't get dragged down and it, didn't, it just sat there waiting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, the, the narrative uh, hasn't quite played out. And I, I, once, it, once it becomes clear that Bitcoin is highly correlated with gold, then it's, I think it'll be a highly reflexive process where, uh, you know, in, in a, an event like yesterday, Bitcoin would be right alongside gold pumping, you know, but on the other side of things, you know, with the whole Iran situation, uh, Bitcoin was highly correlated with gold. So, you know, we'll see. It's still, still uncorrelated, which is still great. Yeah, it's fascinating. It truly is. This one's a good one. Um... I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you age. If you don't mind, you can give us uh, like an, a range if you want. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm 28. I'm a millennial. So I'm, I'm part of this movement. <laughs> you know where I'm going, right? Bitcoin is yep. a millennial movement. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Bitcoin is a millennial movement. Um, let's get into it. Uh, yeah. So I, I actually think this is the most powerful of all mm-hmm. because uh, you don't have to believe in any of the objective qualities. You don't have to believe that people are going to uh, compare this with digital gold. You don't have to, com- you don't have to believe that uh, governments are going to start accumulating Bitcoin. You literally just have to believe that people who have grown up in the digital world, who use cell phones all the time, they've, all, they know is, all they know is digital, right? That they're going to start using a digital money. And empirically, we have a lot of data. So uh, first of all, they're the largest generation in the US. They are about to be the largest generation in the world. Hmm. In the next decade, they are estimated to inherit somewhere between eight and $10 trillion. In the next 30 years, they're estimated to inherit almost $70 trillion. So they're gonna, be go- they're gonna go from this poor, this poor generation to the richest generation. And then they're buying Bitcoin like crazy. So there was a recent uh, Charles Schwab report that showed that in IRAs, uh, GBTC, which often uh, commands a 20 to 30 percent premium uh, to to NAV, is almost two percent of millennials' holdings. Right. So you look at you look at the Gen X holdings, you look at the baby boomer holdings, and you see a lot of the perennial favorites. You know Berkshire. Uh, Mm-hmm. Apple, Tesla, uh, all the big tech names—they're on—they're on there. But then you look at the millennial uh, uh, breakdown, and Bitcoin is number five on, on the list, which I, I think is just incredible, right? Uh, there is so much demand that there that these millennials are willing to pay thirty percent premium uh, just to get their hands on Bitcoin in their IRAs. Uh, on top of that, there's Square 
which I mentioned previously, is 70% millennial users. And Bitcoin purchases are accelerating rapidly. And, uh, you know, I think, what is it? I forget how many, I think it's like 60 million cash square downloads. Uh, you know, I, I think that, I think Square is, is going to be one of these apps that everybody is using in the next few years. And Bitcoin is going to be integrated into all of, all of their services, right? Jack Dorsey is this huge, huge Bitcoin bull. Mm. Man. When like when you see that when you like you see that chart the millennials um, uh, <laughs> that's such a bullish case again and I I just it leaves me speechless each time um, so with Square then you see like so we've got you mentioned the number of merchants that are coming online um, this is going to really drive what well, as a millennial are you guys going to be looking to hodl or are you going to be looking to like um you know utilize like use this stuff like day to day you want to actually use it because you know as a gen xer i'm you know i'm a last resorter like you know i i i want this to become you know um a pension uh yeah what, how do you guys see it well i i certainly see it as more of a, a digital gold and not something that i want to spend mm. right uh and I, I think that'll probably continue, but there, I think there will be a larger cohort of people who only have Bitcoin, right? And so if you only have Bitcoin, then you have to spend Bitcoin, right? Uh, right. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you have a lot of fiat, then you can just spend your fiat or you can, you can sell Bitcoin periodically to fiat and spend that fiat. But uh, it, it just depends on how much Bitcoin people actually have. So if, if you're, you're 100% Bitcoin, then you have to spend some of it, right? right. But I, I know on, on, on there's a argument that like, oh, medium of exchange is not a good use case right now. People don't need to spend Bitcoin. But I I, I would disagree with that. I just think that it's, uh, again, it, it, it feeds the whole mimetic movement, uh, having uh, all these merchants accept Bitcoin, right? When everybody's talking about Oh yeah, you can go spend Bitcoin here. You can go spend Bitcoin there. It just adds to the overall narrative of adoption, uh, which is all part of this positive feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. And that's how you started. You started the whole piece with the quote, right? I'm going to read it out. Um, which uh, here we go. It might make sense just to get some in case it catches on. If enough people think the same way, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Satoshi Nakamoto, 2009. The, the, those words are so prescient and just they're, they're still true today in, in, the most, in the most pure sense because that is really the best way to describe Bitcoin, right? There is, uh, it has the potential to just blow up to uh, 10, 20, 30 trillion dollars, even more. And if it does, then you're rewarded, right? But if it fails, you only lose your, the money you put in. So, so there's just this great asymmetric bet, and it, it's about the best way that you can describe the investment potential of Bitcoin. It might make sense to buy some just in case it catches on. <laughs> yeah, it does, right? That's about as basic as you can get. And you know, yeah. you have. I'm sure, like many people that uh, have 
you know, fallen down the rabbit hole, you know, done their reading, done their education, understand it, see it clearly, um, and now want to bring their friends and family into the space. How do you find that? Uh, have you been um, banging your head against the brick wall? I mean, for me, it's harder because I'm, I'm dealing with the older, older people. Maybe it's easier for you for, um, you know, your age group. How, how do you find it? Uh, you know, it's hit and miss. But I think I think typically I, uh, I I I could be successful when I just simplify it, and and I think you know that quote by Satoshi is is about as straightforward as it gets. You know, you, listen, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe any of these arguments, but please just maybe get some just in case it it it, it catches on. Right, we're still incredibly early, even though you see the unit price as nine thousand dollars we're still incredibly early uh, and i think that argument is is about as effective as any and then when people come and like you made a great point there like the sticker price being like nine ten thousand dollars whatever it is you know i come up against this all the time yeah but dad i can't afford one of those what are you crazy and like it's like trying to drive the point home you can just buy 20 euros a week 20 bucks a week 20 dollars a week whatever it is just get comfortable just start buying some um but then like they they'll open an account we were talking about this a little bit before um, and they just get tempted by all this other stuff that runs some of these exchanges. Um, what are your thoughts about that? And um, there was one particular firm you were talking about that uh, are concentrating on, you know, Bitcoin only. Um, yeah. What, what would you advise listeners, you know, if, if they were to dip their toe in and found themselves looking at prices that are like, you know, perhaps $6 or 80 cents or, you know, like, 20 bucks. Um, you've, you've researched all of these, right? No one's researched these as much as you probably, you know, the top 150. Yeah. I, I always tell my friends, just, just, uh, just stick with Bitcoin. I, uh, almost inevitably they won't, uh, because you see something else go up, uh, 10, 20%, you know, relative to Bitcoin. Like, well, I, I would have made so much more money with that. Like, well, yeah, you're right but you have to just be way more active. And uh, if you're not going to be active and you're not going to be uh, really concentrating on, on what's going on in the space, then you're probably going to put yourself in some trouble. Uh, you know, it, we saw that a lot in 2017 you know, in December, the whole office is talking about ripple and IOTA and uh, you know, those went down 95%. Um, so I always just say, try to stick with Bitcoin. And, and there are some services that are, that are starting to pop up that are, um, you know, Bitcoin only. Right. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll have to head them there. You, you said River Financial is that one that's just Bitcoin only? Uh, River Financial. Yeah. There's another company called Swan Bitcoin, which is uh, uh, helping people give Bitcoin to other users. And then I think there's a, like a lockup period so that, uh, people can't just you know sell after a twenty percent move or something. Uh, so there are these there are some interesting different incentives uh, kind of starting out. I think we'll see more of those, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, for sure. Right. Okay. Um, final question: If if there was one person that you'd love to come out and uh, and talk about um adopting bitcoin or you know you had the chance to educate them about it or they read your your article and they, they started tweeting about it like you know this is the future who would you want that person to be and um why 
Mm, that is a really good question. Um, you know, there are two sides to that coin. So it's on the one side, I think uh, it would be really great for, uh, you know, on, on, on one side of things like Donald Trump, you know, he has right. a massive following and uh, I, he would get a lot of people to pay attention. Uh, you also think about, you know, just from the popularity standpoint, uh, someone like uh, Kanye, right? Uh, and Kanye has actually talked about Bitcoin in the past a little bit, uh -huh. but uh, to really come out in a strong, strong way. Um, the reason I the reason I say those two people is because I I think uh, I think we get a whole new cohort of of uh, users, investors, people trying to understand it. Uh, whereas you know I, I could I could mention like more of a mainstream some uh, someone who like the Bitcoin, Bitcoiners would really really get behind right. But that's but you don't want more we don't want more bitcoiners necessarily we want more uh people who aren't yet uh educated on the whole space right and i think i think that can be sometimes a different difficult thing to uh, uh difficult gap to bridge so i you know uh, i think trump would be a really interesting one you know like kim kardashian would be an interesting one uh so uh just like attacking a whole new user base yeah, exactly. Um, tr trying to think of like, um, what's the age demographic, the people that you want to come in and start learning about it, right? And like, yeah, and your generation, man, like that's, that's what I'm thinking, or, or the generation below you, uh, where my, you know, where my kids are, uh, you know, I'm doing my best to educate them, but they don't listen to dad, right? And no, <laughs> one's, ever, no one's ever gonna listen to dad. Yeah. Uh, even even where it's going even where it gets to where it's going they'll still be thinking you know whatever <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah interesting all right good call um where can people find you and um what's what, um yeah anything else you want to you want to leave the interview with uh no if, if you want to reach out bill j Bonello uh on twitter is probably the best way to, to do so um yeah i'm i'm, I'm always interested in having uh, good conversations both about bitcoin and about other developments in this space, uh, any interesting companies that are coming up. Um, yeah, I love this stuff. Yeah, and he's available, ladies and gentlemen. He's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't wait, reach out. <laughs> can. All right, Phil, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for your insights. Thanks for your writing, man. Um, you know, that's great. Uh, please, everybody go check that out, philjbonello.substack.com and um, start your education if you haven't already. Thanks very much. Thanks, Danny. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening to that uh, that episode with Phil. Um, very, very insightful. Make sure you go and check out his, his writing because, uh, as I said in the interview, that's what um, made me reach out to him. When, once I saw that uh, prisoner's dilemma for nation states, you know, it's, uh, it's just another one of these pieces of the puzzle that just keeps dropping into place, you know, the long-term play of, of Bitcoin and, and where it really could be headed and 
everything else that he mentions is in that article. The other thing was the the, the transfer of wealth from from the boomers down to the millennials, and you're going to have, you know, the largest population in the, in U.S. terms, largest population, currently one of the poorest generations, um, going to become you know, one of the, the richest generations and what they're doing with their money right now, any kind of spare cash that they're getting, the majority uh, of the investment, um, sorry, not the majority, but it's creeping up, is, um, you know, going into uh, digital assets and Bitcoin obviously being the leader there. Stark warnings, I think. Um, and again, like, you know, we're talking to a young person here who's clearly very, very smart, and knows exactly what he's talking about, has done a ton of research. He's got a ton of uh, working knowledge, hands-on knowledge of the space as well. Um, clearly an asset for somebody out there. And uh, like you said, towards the end of the uh, the interview there, you know, he's, he's looking for new opportunities. So go find him on Twitter. I can't imagine he's going to be uh, hanging around for too long before somebody snaps him up and um, brings him on board on, on, you know, on whatever they're trying to achieve. Uh, thanks for listening again. Um, we've got, um, some, some more exciting guests coming up. We're going to do a, an episode with JP Barrick about mining, where I ask him literally the most basic questions known to man about mining, because I've got no clue about it. And, uh, next week, um, I hope to be hooking up with, uh, Mark Yusko, um, somebody older than me for once, um, talking about markets and, uh, hedge funds coming into the space and uh, his um, get off zero uh, kind of mentality around uh, around Bitcoin. Uh, go go look at the website once-bitten.com. I'm updating all of the episodes on there. Uh, you'll find out a little bit more about me as well if you follow a few links. And uh, feel free to reach out at Princey1976 on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. Have a great um, morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you guys are. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.